Okay, good morning, everybody. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Daf Ches in Maseches Nadarim. So, back from New York, and here we are in the last four words on Zayin Ahmed Bez. Last four words on Zayin Ahmed Bez. Uh, we, we were having the statements of Rav Giddel just to um, orient us as to where we are. So, we're still in the first mission of Nadarim. You might recall that the very first mission of Nadarim was saying the different kinuyim and yados, right? Different ways of expressing um, Nadarim that despite the fact that in some areas of life you have to have very specific formulas, for example, when Chazal made a takana of what brachas to make, so that's a specific bracha, um, right? We follow the right matbea of Chazal. We follow their formula. However, when it comes to self-imposed obligations that are imposed by verbal declaration, so that verbal declaration could either be said colloquially or it could be said partially. If we know what you meant, we kind of mitzaref, right? We put together the, your, what your uh, presumed intention with your expressed words and put it all together into one big expression of self-obligation, otherwise known as the neder or shvua. This is quite a chiddush that we learned out of the psukim last week, right? We took, we teased out of the psukim, kol motzes fasav, right? Anything that comes out of your lips, there's different ways, right? We went through the limudim, how we see in the psukim that the expression doesn't have to be, right, very, very explicit, formulaic, that even a partial expression works. And then the subsequent dapim went through certain terminology and said, well, how far does that go? Like, do we have to really know what you're saying? So... What, at what point do we know that you're referring to uh, base hakise? Or at what point do we know that you're, you're referring to a variety of different obligations? And so when Rav Gidl came in, they were talking about nidui. This topic of nidui is when you put somebody in cherem. Putting somebody in cherem has some uh, halachas to it, right? When somebody has in cherem, when somebody's in cherem, technically nobody should come within dalad amos of them, right? That's a real excommunication of olden times, right? And so when you have that excommunication, so today they even have sometimes people get put in cherem, you don't give them an aliyah shul, Rahman al-Islan, you know, not, not fun situations when somebody has to be in that situation. <coughs> now another Allah is that whoever puts you in cherem uh, has to be the one to take you out. And if that person isn't going to be the one to take you out, then it has to be like the local rabbis. And if not the local rabbis, at least a mumcha. Um, and we'll see exactly how that works. And so in the last ruling, Rav Gidal Amarav said an interesting idea that he said, a Talmud Chacham can put himself in Cherem and also take himself out of Cherem. And so we're going to see a couple of interesting halachas with regards to Cherem, including, but not limited to, what happens if somebody puts you in Cherem in your dreams? Do you have to be released from that harem in real life when you wake up. Okay, but I've said too much. That was a tease. That's what they call a tease, Barry. All right, so now we'll start from the last line here. Ramar Gidal Marav. Okay. As we arrive at Chesem Aleph. Minayin shenishbein l'kayim esam mitzvah. Oh, a fascinating idea. Person can make a shvua to fulfill a mitzvah. What's the chiddush here? Well, it's an unbelievable thing. You are obligated, right? Mushba Mehar Sinai, as we say, right? You are, as we'll see. For, and Har Sinai, 
there was a shvua, nasa v'nishma, right? All the mitzvahs are, oblig- are called ob- obligations. And so let's say you obligated yourself on top of your obligation. It's sukkah, you say, I am making a, right, uh, a shvua, right, because the shvua, as we said, is the gavra, is when you are obligating yourself to do something. So I'm making a shvua that I'm going to shake lulav this morning. Well, you already have that obligation standing from the Torah to shake lulav that morning. So what is this shvua? Does that count? Shvua chal al shvua or not? <clears throat> we do have a concept in the Mishnah and Shavuos and Daf Zayin, ain't shvua chal al shvua. That once you already have an obligation, so you're not accomplishing anything. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Pasuk, I meant to bring the Chumash. I think it's one right here. Okay. Um, there you got to look at the Pasuk. We have extra time because the Nadarim has the Ran. And the Ran is just verbose. As a matter of fact, we could, on every one of these points, get into the Ran. And the Ran says interesting things like, Mistabrali, um, I think this might be the Pshat. We have this in Ardaf. And I think maybe this, and maybe you could ask this. It's a, it's a, it's a different style for sure. It's something between Rashi and Tosfos. Um, so we have time to dig in as much as we want on any given day. But the Pasuk, this is in the Parshas Vayikra. Um, so it says in Parakei, um, Pasuk Gimel, uh, let's, let's do Pasuk Dalad and Hey. So, it says, O nefesh ki tishava levate, you're, you're a Balkari, so you know this, Barry. O nefesh <clears throat> ki tishava levate bisfasaim. Right? So let's say you swear to express with your words, lehara o leheitiv. So what's lehara o leheitiv mean? So it means that you made a, okay, a verbal expression, okay, and then, that verbal expression had to have some impact. Like, you know, when you say something has no implications, it's lomai levelomayrid, right? It doesn't, it's not adding, it's not subtracting anything. So this is a similar expression. Laharal lahitiv is, whenever you make a nether, it has to have impact, Barry. How is it going to be actionable? How is it going to have impact if it's already superimposed on something that's an identical obligation? So this pasuk of laharol implies that if you do something that's superimposed on an identical obligation, maybe that nether shouldn't work at all. It shouldn't count as anything, right? Because as the pasuk continues, right, if you, if it turns out, and then I'm just going to read it in English now, believe it or not, and then, and then you forgot, then you knew that you made it, and then you became guilty, which is to say you didn't follow through on one of these nidarims, right? He has to bring... And then that you have to bring a korban chatas, asham, a korban, and then it says nekevamin asson, and then it says vimlos agia yado deise bevias ashamo asher chatas teitorim. This means that if you don't have enough money, okay, if you can't afford cattle, so then bring right birds. So this is called a chatas oliviyored, right? Uh, so a korban chatas oliviyored. So what you know uh, when we say the alchets, 
and Yom Kippur, we give a chetz for every kind of chet that we would do, and, and then we give a, and then we clap al chet for the different types of karbonos that we would have to bring. And one of them is chatas oliviorid. So there's a list, right, of like five things that you would give a chatas oliviorid for. And this is one of them, right? The chatas oliviorid is for violating a shvua. That's a korban chatas. The oliviorid meaning whatever you can afford. Okay? So now, so now we're getting through the first line here. That minayin she nishbayin l'kaimis mitzvah. So nishbayin l'kaimis mitzvah means that even though, so now we're putting it all together, even though you're superimposing an obligation on top of an obligation that already pre-existed, and it's identical, so therefore it's lomayla v'lomayra, it's not really l'tova l'ra, still, you're going to have to bring a korban chatas olaviyarit if you violated said shvua. So that, which means that if you don't bring, if you don't shake the lulav, you're violating the assay and you're going to have to bring a korban chatas olaviyoreid, right? That's a double obligation. That's one. That's the main uh, stream, I think, uh, translation of what this uh, this would mean. Okay, so so how do we know that? that? So now the Gemara says there's a source. So that's interesting. Rav Gidel Marav is bringing a pasuk to teach you this. Shenemar nishbati ve'akayema lishmor mishpatei tzidkecha. So when you look at the Hillam, right? And it says, so this is, this is important. In Tehillim it says, I swore and I fulfilled to, to lishmor, to keep your, right, your mitzvahs. Oh. So that sounds like on top of the fact that you already were commanded to do the mitzvahs, <coughs> David HaMelech is swearing that he's going to keep the, those said mitzvahs. Ah. So now the Gemara asks, So now it asks the question that we mentioned. Right, we already learned in Masechah Shvuas, um, that you don't have Shvuah Chala Shvuah. That if you're already Mushba Be'Oimed, <coughs> after all, you already have been right um, held accountable and swear and under oath since Har Sinai, right, to 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 uh, do the mitzvahs. So how can you say Shvuah on top of a Shvuah? Answers the Gemara. Mar answers that it, Rav Gidol's teaching you that it is permitted. Now here again, you have to look at the Mepharshim. What is this Lashon? Technically it means that it's permitted to be Mizare's Nafshe. That a person is allowed to permit themselves, to motivate themselves to fulfill a mitzvah by swearing to do so. I think that this is fascinating. Because it cuts to the core, Barry, of what we're talking about is the balance of Shavuos. You know, when you read only Chazals, you know, when we read, for example, Ksubis, right? It sounded like, oh, Hafaris Nadarim. Ay, this wife, she's, she's swearing up and down, not, and, and, we're, and, all, and we're trying to undo all these, all these Shavuos of hers, all these Shavuos and Nadarims. Uh, and it's like a negative thing. It looks like some sort of, social tick, right? Like a negative behavior that people are prone to that we have to just, we have to tell them to knock it off and undo it. But there is a flip side. It is a motivator, Barry. For example, would, you, either, would either you or me be here if I didn't have to teach this year and you, and you knew that we didn't discuss that you were going to come to this year this morning, right? You're coughing up a storm that hopefully was not the Shem for Shlema and it should go away soon. And, right? And it's, an ungodly hour in the morning, and yet we've made commitments. So we see there's a positive aspect to these commitments, 
is not just all negative, right? It has a positive component. You're motivating yourself to do something. Enachinami, you know, you want to learn before davening. It's a great thing to learn before davening. Dafyomi is a great thing, but without, right, an actual verbal commitment, then perhaps we wouldn't be as motivated, right, to do it. Some people are not as disciplined, and without the extra motivation, it would make a massive difference. I count myself among that group. So, the fact is, it is shari lele inish lezeruze nafshe, which is to say that even if, right, so, so, so again, there's a lachic implication here, but even if you're already obligated to do it, so let's say you're already obligated, so to speak, to learn dafyomi, and we'll see this in the context of learning, you're allowed to make a shvua and superimpose an extra layer of obligation upon yourself. Shari inish means you're allowed. Okay, uh, so that, that is a fascinating thing in itself. And the, and the application of being allowed is that, in fact, it would take, which is to say that even though you already were obligated, the fact that you're motivating yourself so that's not an identical superimposition where you can't tell the difference. It's not low mile level moirid, right? To obligate yourself gives you the extra level of motivation which creates... An, ob- an extra obligation because you have accomplished something. You've motivated yourself, right, to now fulfill that obligation. And therefore, if you were to not fulfill that obligation, not only would you lose out on the obligation that you had already previously committed to at Harsinai, but also this extra level of motivation that you superimposed on top of it with your Shavuah. So this is a very fascinating uh, uh, halacha of Rav Gidl that cuts to the core of the pros and cons of Nadarm. Now, the Torah understands that we're flesh and blood and that really nobody can be 100% ne'eman, right, to never falter, right? That, so, so that's why they don't like absolutes, right? They don't like committing to absolutes. But the flip side is that there is a motivator there, right? Okay, very interesting. So now, five lines down. So that, another statement of Gidol Amarav. Similar statement. Vamar of Gidol Amarav, Omer Ashkin It's interesting that we need a motivator more than Arsina. Right, Barry. Right, Barry's pointing out this aspect of human nature that uh, the fact that the fact that we were at Harsinai and there was Kolos Uvrakim, that should there should be no need for any greater motivator than that. Right? So why is it human nature that sometimes uh, you could do an Avera, despite the fact that you're before the Melech Malchem Lachim, but if you see, not even a Melech Basar Vedam, if you see like a child, okay, that's watching you, then all of a sudden, you're, you, you see Basar Vedam, and you're embarrassed. That's ironic, right? You're supposed to be way more embarrassed in front of Melech Malchem Lachim. Similarly, why should your self-imposed promise, right, be more motivating to you than, the, than, than that which you committed to at Har Sinai, with the Kolos of Brachim and the literal uh, right, experience of the collective nation in front of the mountain. So, so I, I think Barry's bringing up an incredible point, which is, again, and I think that that incredible point is embedded into the Lachas of Nadarim. That's what I'm trying to say. That Nadarim is this human motivating thing that takes, that's like baked into those Halachas is the understanding that human nature is to be more motivated by these self-imposed promises than by our actual core obligations. 
And so that's, I think, plays into sort of the balance of we, we don't love the fact that we have to have these self-imposed promises. We wish we could just be motivated by our core obligations, right? And then so sometimes we, when we self-impose promises, sometimes we have agendas, as we will see, and that, that becomes, it becomes more complicated. So we have to undo it and do it and undo it and do it. But that is, that is indeed the human condition, isn't it, Barry? And so, uh, yeah, may we be zocha to fulfill all our core obligations, lishma. Okay. So now, very relevant to us. Right? I'll get up early tomorrow and I'm going to learn this particular parak. Or Eshna Masechtazu, right? We're going to get up and study Mdarim and Ran. Says Rav Gidol, fascinating Lashon. Neder Godol Nodor Leloke Yisrael. Right, so here, he's saying, in the, before he said, yeah, it counts. Right? Nishbon Lakayim as a mitzvah. When it comes to learning, ooh, that's a Neder Godol. Sounds like it's a very positive thing. And that sure does take, sure does take, now again, you could, we could spend a month on this. Why is he using Lashon Neder? Why is Dafka this commitment to learn a Neder Gadol? You can get halachic about it. You can get Hasidic about it, right? About, you know, I mean, you could have so much depth and breadth in these Lashon, but the mainstream way of saying it is that it's the same as a mitzvah, but maybe because it's Talmud Torah. And that's all embedded in here, as we'll see, or the Gemara discusses it. <coughs> what is... After all, it says in Sefer Yeshua, in first parak, you're supposed to learn Torah day and night. Also, you're supposed to know Torah, Barry. On the flip side, as the Gemara will soon say, you're technically Yotze with Krishma, Mayarav, and Shachras. So, technically. But if all you did was Krishma, Shachras, and Mayarav, you would not know anything, right? You would just know Krishma. So there's got to be somewhere in between. So the stipler, according to Rav Ari Libut, the great Tafiyomi master, I think it was the stipler who holds, and I think Rav Asha Weiss, I mean, the, the Gedolim will say every spare moment. Spare moment? You have to also have kuvias itim. Okay, so now already it's not a spare moment. You have to make an appointment, right? It's appointment. <laughs> so it's um, obviously, he gave Sabo Yom Balayla 24-7, Versus Krishna, Shachvis, Arvis, and everything in between is going to be where you're going to find, right, the, the Gedolim who talk about, you know, where that mitzvah of Talmud Torah is. And perhaps it is for that reason that Rav Gidol is very praise, very much praising and in his praise saying that in fact it is Chal, that it's a neder Gadol in a good way. And that's what we're going to see tomorrow. Tomorrow we start at the top of the Mishnah, Bezat Hashem, on Testament Aleph, right, that Mishnah discusses good Nadarm versus bad Nadarm. And again, it, goes right into our theme. That nether does have positive, right? Uh, sometimes it can have a positive effect. And if it's sincere and it motivates and it works and you can keep with it, that's a great thing. And that's what this means. Nether gadol nadol loke Israel, right? It's lishma. It's a great thing. And it takes, of course, every time it takes, you have the consequence. The consequence is if you violate it, now already you're, you're in violation of this nether. You're going to have to bring korban chatas. That's an avera. So again, a guy commits to learning a specific thing. This happens all the time. Uh, the Mepharshim talk about tzedakah. We talked about it uh, in the last few dafim. Tzedakah pledges are a big deal also. Is that verbal pledge considered a pledge or not? Right? Is that considered a neder or not? You know? So be that as it may, neder gadol nadar lo Okay, so it takes. So the Gemara asks. 
Similarly to the Aspen case of the mitzvah, it asks with the case of Talmud Torah here, and the statement of Giddel, right? We have already a directive from Torah that we have to study Torah. So it's interesting. Some Farshim say, but that's from Yeshua. There's also Vishinantam, right? That in Kriya Shema itself, that you have to teach, you have to learn. Okay. So here it uses the language which it didn't before. It only implied it, which is that you don't have Shvua, Chala Shvua, the, the Gemara in, in the Mishnah in Shvuas. Now, how do you reconcile this with the Mishnah in Shvuas is a whole discussion in itself. Because the Mishnah in Shvuas says, Ain Shvua, Chala Shvuas. You say maybe it's a different kind of Shvua, or maybe Rav Giddel actually um, contradicts the Mishnah. Maybe he doesn't hold of that Mishnah in Shvuas. Very interesting. Um, topic in its own right. Be that as it may, what is the Gemara teaching you? My Kamash Malan asks the Gemara, Da'afilu Zaruze Be'alma. Is that what Rav is trying to teach you? So again, in the first, in the first thing we learned today is that Rav can be Mazares you to do mitzvahs. Now, is Rav telling you that you could be Mazares yourself with Nadarim to learn Torah? Well, that seems to be the same halacha, says the Gemara. Ask the Gemara, Hainudir of Gidel Kamaisa. That's the same halacha that we learned with regards to mitzvahs. Why would we have to learn it anew with respect to Talmud Torah? Says the Gemara, Hakamash Malan, Kevadi, Boy, Potter, Nafshe, Bikriash, Mashachas, Arvis. It teaches you that since you, if you wanted to, you could be, right, you could fulfill your obligation of Talmud Torah with Kriashma of Shachas and Arvis, Mishum Hachi, Chayal Shvua That's why. The, the, uh, oath takes. Which is to say, it's never a real superimposition. That when it comes to mitzvahs, this is how I interpret this. That when it comes to mitzvahs, I mean, no matter how you shake the lulav, you're getting the same number of points, so to speak, right? That's one mitzvah, I say. But when it comes to Talmud Torah, as we've discussed, the amount, the depth and the breadth is so variable that Right, it's not really, I'll say it like this. It's not really the same mitzvah. It's not, you don't get the same amount of points. I mean, you don't view Talmud Torah as, oh, something you checked off the box. I said Kriyashma, I'm good until tonight. It's not like that. When it comes to Talmud Torah, right, the more you learn, the more you get. So maybe that's the answer, Barry. You know, when you're talking about like, oh, you could be, so there's two aspects. We'll, we'll get brisker, tzvei dinim. Two aspects of Talmud Torah. To fulfill your basic obligation, you have to say, okay, so that's the chiv of the day. Fine. But do you get an extra mitzvah for learning more? Absolutely. You would say absolutely. Right? That every moment that you're learning Torah, whether it's a mitzvah or a, I, I don't know how you would categorize it technically. I remember... Um, there was a fascinating panel once with my, some of my, some of my favorite, how should I say this? So, some of um, my most influential people in my life were on a panel. So Moshe Benevitz Shlita uh, was moderating and uh, it was Rav Schechter. Uh, no, no. Moshe Benevitz was moderating and if memory serves, the three panelists, you could look this up on Yu Torah, were Rabbi Jonas and Sachs Shlita from Passaic and Landers, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Blachman Shlita from Karen Biavna, was my Rabbi in Karen Biavna, and Rabbi Moshe Tarigan, Meish Tarigan, uh, 
who was uh, my Rebbe slash, uh, in, uh, he, 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 he learned, we, we got to learn Night Seder, me and his brother Benji, uh, and he is a Rebbe in Gush. So they're talking about the topic of Aliyah. That was the symposium. And the question was, why does the Rambam not count it as a mitzvah? What's going on? So Rav Blachman explained, and they all seem to agree, that there are certain fundamental things that are so fundamental that it's not formulaic like a mitzvah, right? You don't, like, the, to, to quote his words, so it's like this, chinuch is not counted as one of the taryag. Now, we know that there's way more than taryag mitzvahs, right? So the Ramam has a whole sefer explaining, right, the shorashim of how a mitzvah becomes one of the taryag. But the taryag thing is just an exercise, Barry. It's just like there's a number, there's a medrash, that there should be taryag. We went through this in Masechus Brachos, uh, if memory serves. And so we try to say, okay, but it's, like, it's almost like a game because there's way more than taryag. Just, these are the taryag that we're referring to. It, ha- it, can't, it can't be harashat, right? It has to be forever. It has to be darais, obviously, right? Different ways of explaining how you arrive at 613 mitzvahs. And obviously, as we know, if Sajjah going, the Ramban, right? They, they all have their different counts of, of how they arrive at taryag. So be that as it may, why is the mitzvah of, of Yishev Eretz Yisrael not one of the Taryag of the Ramam? So you have, right, your whole gamut of explanations. This goes back, I guess, to the, tying it with the end of Ksubis. So he said, no, that's a fundamental thing, just like Chinuch is not one of the Taryag mitzvahs, because a mitzvah is defined as like this limited directive. You go and you check off the box. You do it, and now you've fulfilled your obligation, and you move on. So he says, according to the Ramban, Yeshiva Sarsal, his lash, Rabbi Blachman's Lashon was, Nebuch, it's a mitzvah. Which is to say, it's something that you check off, right? But according to the Ramam, it's so, it's so much more fundamental than that. <laughs> That's the way he phrased it. So you could say the same thing with regards to Chinuch. You could say the same thing perhaps with regards to Talmud Torah. And there's this element of, yeah, you check it off with Krishma. So now, like, you're not going to be held to task, perhaps. But no one would argue that there's something greater about learn, learning, sitting and learning and being kovea itim Torah that's everywhere, right? So is a, there's a little bit more of the definition of the mitzvah. So that, I bring it up because very interesting and fundamental and also because it could be shot. I think it is shot over here in the Gemara, that even though before when it came to a mitzvah that's formulaic, that's a real superimposition and so therefore the only thing that you could be adding with Yeshua is motivation. Here, there is an aspect of Talmud Torah that is formulaic, perhaps, in a mitzvah, which is the Krishma Arvitz Shachris, but we're referring to the aspect of Talmud Torah that is not, that is more fundamental. That's the Gaze of Yomambalayla, that even though that's not a Torah obligation, that is, in fact, right, it's mentioned in Yeshua, so it's a Navi, but the point is, it's a fundamental value, okay? And therefore, that is certainly not a direct superimposition on the Chi of Krishma Arvitz and Shachris. Fine. So now... Uh, okay, so Barry and I agree <coughs> that we're going to get up and learn a certain parak. So now this is different because before he said Ashkim right? So before Barry, he on upon he took upon himself the obligation that has the lashon of oath, and so the Mefarshim bring up here that if I were to say to Barry, let's come, let's go and do this tomorrow, that. Sounds different. It sounds the same, but the implication is way different, right? If you say, I am going to get up and do this tomorrow, that is more like a shvuah. 
Whereas if I get it, where if, whereas if I say to Barry, hey, how about if we go do this tomorrow? So now I'm that's just a suggestion, right? That's like an appointment. We're making a date. But that's not a shavuot. People make dates all the time. Okay? So, in other words, if you're saying it to yourself, why would you say it if not for the fact that you were obligating yourself? Whereas if you're saying it to a friend, then you're just making a date. So, that doesn't necessarily have Lashon Shmua. It says, It does uh, take on the implication of Shavua. This is in Yechezkel. So what happens is Yechezkel is recording that Hashem said to him, Come, I'll meet you in the valley, in the Bika, and we'll talk. The Eitz El Abika, so they're making a date, right? So to speak. Sure enough, Yechezkel goes to the valley, and Hashem's already there. Ah, so that's where he learns what? He learns that there, it sounds like it's an interesting uh, thing that he's learning that that is the, um, the source that <laughs> making a date, you have to keep the date. There's a machlokas here in the Mefarshim. Wait a minute, is this binding like a shvua? What's going on here? Um, okay, but that is a big discussion. Uh, be that as it may, they do learn that when you uh, make it, set a date, you should get there first. Because Hashem set the date with Yechezkel and he got there first. So if I tell you, Barry, you're going to learn that tomorrow here at 535, it would be Derech Eretz. Right, there's a halacha component, maybe it's a shvua, But aside from that, there certainly is, even if it's not a shvua. There's a halacha component as shown by a Kodesh Baruch Hu, with Yechezkel. If I'm the one that told you to show up, I should get there beforehand because I was Kovea. You weren't going to do it, right? But then I told you to show up. I should be here before you. That's, that's common Derech Eretz. Okay. Okay, five lines up from the wide. Amar of Yosef. So this is what I teased before and I promised you. If a person gets excommunicated in his dream, unbelievable halacha. Why? As Rashi explains, this is not really, this is the, um, actually the Ran. Rashi here, you know, is not, they call him the Mefarish. It's not actual Rashi. But looking on the outside, which is the Ran here, says the Ran over there, four lines up from the bottom. Unbelievable. Why did you get excommunicated in your dream? Because the Kaddish Baruch Hu was excommunicating you. <laughs> He's explaining the underpinnings of the halacha. As we learned in Masechus Brachos, when you have ten people, the Shekhinah's there. Right? When you get a minion, the Shekhinah's there. Ah, so if the is the one that excommunicated you, the Shekhinah is going to have to be the one that undoes the excommunication. So the Shekhinah needs to be present for the excommunication, and that's why you need to have ten people. That's what the Ron explains. It's an unbelievable thing, because this happened in a dream, but be that as it may. Says the Gemara. And that's what we mean... Uh, when we say 10 people, it has to be people who know halachas, not just 10 stam people. But if it's just a chever mishnayis, where they learn some things, but they're not real experts, low. That's not enough to be matir that nidui. You know what? But that's the chachila. If you don't have 10 experts, so then fine. Let's get the chever mishnayis together and we'll be matir this nidui. But if you can't find the chever mishnayis even, so guess what? Go on to the street, get on to Park Heights, say shalom aleichem to 10 people, and they say to you aleichem shalom, until you get 10 people, right, uh, who arrive, and then they can do the, lift the excommunication. Now, there's two ways that the Mepharshim explain. Some will say, 
go to Park Heights and Glen Avenue and collect 10 people. Miklai sounds like um, they arrive, that you have to collect them. Uh, another explanation that's brought up here, I think it's the, I think it's the rush, I don't uh, remember, um, that if you get, don't forget, when you say Shalom Aleichem to somebody, we think, we think of it as just hello. Blachman, I remember, used to say, when you say, uh, when you say, how you doing, you don't really mean how you're doing. Like, you don't want to hear the whole story. And when somebody says, Baruch Hashem, you're basically saying, like, yeah, get out of my face. That, you know, an exaggeration. Right? But, um, but when you say Shalom Aleichem, you're actually giving a bracha. You're saying there should be peace be upon you, right? So if 10 people say peace be upon you, even if it's not in a Bezdin format, that's enough of a bracha to undo the excommunication. That's what the rush explains here, okay? So whether you have to actually collect them or go out in the street and just chop 10 shalom aleichems, that's the, that's the answer. The fact that you, I mean, Birnbaum said he's just not going to tell anybody that he had this dream. He's going to assume that he imagined it, that it didn't happen. I mean, it's a dream. The fact that it has any halachic implications whatsoever sounds like an abundance of caution or something. It's, it, why, and, and by the way, does Hashem, I mean, Hashem has the authority to do anything Hashem wants, but to excommunicate you? Isn't it like Loba Shemaim he? What is he, what is he doing excommunicating you in a dream? I don't get it. Okay. Four lines up from the bottom. Let's say another, following along the same lines. Let's say you know who excommunicated you in, in, in your dream. <laughs> so Andrew excommunicates Barry in his dream. So does that mean that you have to go to Andrew to undo the excommunication? So I'm relay. No. Ravashi said, it means like this. To excommunicate you, Barry, right? Andrew was the shliach in the dream. But he was never given the authority to undo it. Because don't forget, if Andrew excommunicates you in your dream, Barry, he's not the one that excommunicated you, right? He only excommunicates you if you're doing it while you're both here and awake, right? That's a human being excommunicating you. In a dream, Andrew doesn't have the powers. He doesn't have that kind of power. First of all, he doesn't sleep at night. He's only sleeping during the day. So your dreams are, are, times aren't going to overlap. That's besides the point. Andrew doesn't have the authority to enter your dream. He doesn't know how to do that. That's Hashem excommunicating you and using Andrew as a shliach in your dream. But how do you know that he used Andrew as a shliach and, and gave him the authority to undo the excommunication? He only gave you the excommunication. That's what he's trying to say. All right, so two lines up from the bottom. So Ravach asked Ravashi, what if the person, Andrew came to me in a dream, he put me in cherem and took me out. So now he put me in and took me out. So I should be good, no? Because now it sounds like he's a shliach for both. So my, what would be the lacha there? So I'm like, Ravach is actually being very smart here. He's using a pasuk with regards to dreams that involves uh, bar and tevin, which is grain and chaff, just like there's no grain without chaff as we turn to Chesim Bez, kach uh, yefshal chalom below dvar and betelim. This is kind of a, um, alluded to, we discussed this already in Brachos, we talked about the dreams, right? There's a Pasuk of Yermio that says, Anavi asher ito chalom yisaper chalom asher dvarai, asher dvari ito yedaber dvari emes mala tevin habar neum Hashem, the idea of dreams and the very MS with respect to wheat and chaff. The bottom line is, it's impossible to have a dream without some dvarim um, Now, What does this mean? <laughs> so, so the 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 mafarish here, uh, which is attributed but it isn't Rashi, 
the first one says on Chesam Beis, Hashem Hadasharulei Dvarim Betelim Havu. He just assumes that when he released him, that was Dvarim Betelim. You know, how do you understand that? Right. So every dream has an element of nonsense. So why was it the fact that you put it into Cherem not nonsense? We assume that that we have to be Choshesh for. But the release of Cher, maybe that was nonsense. So that needs to be worked on. Why you would think that one part of it isn't nonsense and the other part of it is. Uh, I would imagine that maybe you could assume that the whole thing, the whole dream perhaps is nonsense. These people had much more serious than dreams. I think when I dream, I'm pretty sure it's all nonsense. 100% pure, unadulterated nonsense. <laughs> but anyways, be that as it may, Ravina... The second line of Chesam Beis, Ravina Havale Nidra Ledivisu. Ravina's wife made a nether. Okay, Divisu, right? His wife made a nether. Now, when your wife makes a nether, I don't know if you know guys like this, Barry. Some guys are very relaxed, but when it comes to their wife's needs, they become stressed because they, they, they are going to, right, climb any mountain in order to get this accomplished. Until they do, they're very stressed out. I know guys like this. So, Guess what? Your wife made a nether and she wants to get out of it. So now you're extra motivated. And the question is, can you as a husband undo her nether on her behalf? On one hand, you say, <coughs> right? You're representing her. On the other hand, there's an element of stress that can create disingenuity, meaning an element of stress that can, you're going to have this mindset by hook or by crook, I'm going to get this nether undone. So when you go to the Besdin, Maybe you're going to over-exaggerate her regret, which is, as we will see towards the end of the Masechta, right, the ingredients for Hafaras Nadarim is regret. Yeah, but can we take your word for it? You're like very goal-oriented here. You just want this thing to be undone. So let's see. So also look at the Ravashi. So Ravina went. There is a hawk over here. Was Ravina and Ravashi? Could this be the Ravina and Ravashi that we know that were editors of the Gemara? After all, maybe Ravina shouldn't have gone to Ravashi. Ravashi would have gone to Ravina. Ravina was his Rebbe. Okay, I don't have a problem with it. Um, because I don't have enough, maybe, knowledge to have a problem with it. The point is, I can understand there are two gedolim, one going to the other. So Ravina is going to Ravashi, is a husband, in fact, qualified to be the shliach to explain the charata and to undo another on behalf of his wife. So Amalei, so Ravashi said, fascinating halacha. The reason, <laughs> excuse me, brought down here, Brother Ron, in the rush, is if they're already assembled, if they already have a bezin sitting there, then the husband can do it. Which is to say, the balance that we spoke of before plays halachically. Which is to say as follows. If they're already there and you show up, so and we can assume that this is a sincere person and he's going to give you a sincere charata and give you a uh, trustworthy account of his wife's regret. However, if you see that this guy is running around and he's collecting people, and now he's, now he's got an agenda, right? He's collecting people, he's going through every effort, now... He is going to stop at nothing to be made for this nether, and now his sincerity is in question, and therefore we're not going to allow him to be made for the nether on her behalf in that scenario. So the Gemara says, Shema Minah plus, and from that we learn three things. Shema Minah, Baal Shinasa Shliach Lecharatas Ishto, that technically a Baal could in fact act as a Shliach for his wife, and Shema Minah, Lo Shari Lemishu Nidra Be'asad Rabbe, that it's not permitted for a Chacham, right? to be mefer neder in the locale of his teacher. This is the part of the Gemara that makes it sound like, right, the, that between Ravina and Ravashi, one was their teacher. But again, they could have been each other's teachers, Chavrusas, etc. okay? Be that as it may, right, if, you're, if the Rebbe is there, then you should let the Rebbe, the highest ranking Talmud Chacham, do the Hafaras Nadarim. And we'll see more of this, 
over the Masechta, Ushmaminaki Mechanfin Shaper Dami. And then we see also that it's acceptable for the husband to do it when they are gathering, which was a lacha, right, that we saw, that once they're already gathered, you could be made for another, but otherwise, no. Okay. Now the Gemara says, Vishamta, Afilu Be'asra Derabe. That when it comes to excommunication, we don't need the highest ranking Tamil Chacham to do it. Even if your Rebbe is in town, you're right, if you're a tam, enough of a, of a Tamil Chacham Rebbe, you could do, undo the excommunication. And the Gemara says, Not only that, but it could be an ex, a, a single expert. doesn't need a whole Bezdin. When it comes to undoing a Cherem, you get one expert, one Tamil Chacham, it's good enough. So now nine lines down. Okay. Amr Shimon Barzvid. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak Bartavla. Amr Rabbi Aricha Debe Rabbi Acha. This is Dafiomi Gold, right? Because we're covering real estate, just saying over the names. Amr Rabbi Zeira. Amr Rabbi Lazar. Amr Rabbi Chanina. Amr Rabbi Miyasha. In the name of Rabbi Miyasha. Mishmei B'dur Rabbi Huda Bar Eli. Mai Dixiv Zarchalim Yereshmi. This is Pasuk in Malachi. And all the rest of this Gemara is going to be this Pasuk in Malachi. That basically says that the sun will shine for you. Matt, how does the sun shine for you? The, mat, the sun is a big ball in the sky that's shining for everyone. So how does the sun shine for just specific individuals? Says the Gemara. These are the people who are afraid to say the Shem Shemaim Levatala. So then the Hemshech of the Pasuk is Shemesh Tzedakah Umarpeh. Right? That the sun is the sun of Tzedakah and it heals. So Amar we learn from, did you ever see the sun shining through the window and then you see like little dust particles? So those little are the chirga de yoma and they are healing. So what's going on here? So again, it says that you should be very careful with your words. You don't want to say the shem Hashem. This is what we saw in Zion and Beis, that, that that is, that saying the shem Hashem should, should uh, um, make you subject to excommunication and therefore it is a virtue to avoid shem Hashem whenever possible. Be that as it may, with respect to this Pasuk and Malachi, Paliga the Rishim and Lakish. Rish Lakish understood it differently. The Amar, Ain Gehenim La Lama Ba, that actually Gehenim is not what you think it is. People think, oh, you go upstairs, you get heaven. You go downstairs, you get Gehenim. No, that's not how it works. Ella, what happens? Akarish Baruchu Motsi Chama Minartika. Right? This is what uh, the, the Rebbeim say. That, that, that heaven is, right, a shtender and a bavakama and cigaria and, and coffee. And then, like, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. So, this is a similar idea. You're just going to have the sun, and the sun, some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it. You take out the sun, tzaddikim is dropping, barasham nidonimba. The tzaddikim are going to bathe in it, it's going to be beautiful tans, and they're going to love it. Risham are going to hate it. They're going to burn. Shnema, brazacha lachem, yirei shemesh. Get it? The sun shines for you. How does the sun only shine for certain individuals, not for others? It's out there for everyone. No. But for some, it's good, for some, it's bad. Some, it's bad. The tzaddikim love it. They're bathing in it. It's the best. This is again in, in the same pasuk in Malachi. Go out, flourish like fattened calves. You're going to love it. See the very self-same sun and they say, it's burning me like an oven. Uh, we're going to resume tomorrow with the Mishnah on top of Tess Amid Aleph.